Welcome to Pacific Mammal Research's Marine Mammal Highlight Series. We are a 501c3 research and education nonprofit studying marine mammals in the Salish Sea off Washington State. In this series, you will learn about different marine mammals as we discuss interesting facts about each species. This is our way to geek out, share some information, and have some fun. We hope you enjoy the series and be sure to follow us on Instagram to vote for which animal we talk about next. And without further ado, Welcome to the Pac-Man podcast. I'm Cindy. I'm Kat. And I'm Trevor. And Trevor's back. Yay! Yay! <laughs> we finally got him back after the crazy summer season. Um, so we're going to do a marine mammal highlight uh, with all three of us now again. And this week, it was it was so close, it was a complete tie. We've never had this happen before. It was between the sea otter and the manatee, both very cute marine mammals. Uh, and it was 50-50 over the whole whole Facebook and Instagram. So, so we just, we decided to just choose for you guys since you guys couldn't decide yourselves. So we went with the sea otter. And, and don't worry, was, we will talk about manatee soon as well. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I went for the manatee, but you guys went for the sea otter and I'm, I'm fine with either one. So <laughs> sea otter won out. <laughs> uh, but this is very, very cool. And everybody loves sea otters, of course, because they're super adorable. Um, but uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And Trevor is going to lead us off uh, with the, the basics information about them and ge geographic distribution and appearance and things like that. Yeah. So I'll start with where they're found first. Basically, they're in the northern hemisphere, sorry, northern Pacific Ocean along the coast, basically from California, if you follow up the coast, all the way up to Alaska, and then in, into Russia on the west in the western Pacific. And I believe just northern Japan is where the, the southernmost otters are found. Mm -hmm. But though all those animals are made up of three different subspecies, so it's all the same species, right. but different populations, if you will. So there's the Asian sea otter from the north northern Japan up to Russia. And then you have the northern sea otter from the Lucian Islands of Alaska all the way down the coast towards Oregon. So that's what we have here. Right. Very rarely. <laughs> I saw one. Well. A two. We do have some double. I was going to say, yeah. I'm glad that we have you back for this episode since you've right. actually seen a sea otter in our waters. <laughs> and then there's the southern sea otter, which is probably the more famous one, the ones in Monterey Bay. Those are basically California. Yeah, they, just, they call but, them California sea, sea otters. They all, yeah, exactly. They all look pretty similar. It's just different sizes and such to kind of little nitty-gritty things like the skulls look different in some and whatever but in general they're all four-ish up to five feet long and 50-ish pounds but that being said the largest otter was 120 pounds so yeah and that would oh be a northern gosh. otter the, yeah the northern ours are, are huge apparently <laughs> yeah i mean if you think about it you know average people are what 180, 200 pounds that you get. I was going to say that. Well, it's that. almost as much as a harbor porpoise. I mean, a harbor yeah. porpoise mm -hmm. is 120, 150 pounds. And they don't have any blubber either. Right. Right. So there's that. Mm -hmm. But little nitty gritty things I saw on there, like if you really want it, if you like the skeleton, for example, between the three, the northern sea otter, I believe, has like a wider skull than the others. Hmm. And then the others have like different angled nostrils so really nitty-gritty things but yeah in general so basically all, you're gonna know what you're seeing based on where you are probably pretty much size wise is the biggest thing i think yeah okay yeah, um, that, yeah all, i think that's what i saw was the biggest 
Yeah. We're, they're just bigger up here. <laughs> and they're all brown in general. Some are really dark, like almost black. Some are really yellowish too, but they all tend to be whiter, like lighter colored around the face and chest area. And then darker as you go. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned there's no blubber, right? So right. they have really thick fur really really thick fur they have the densest fur in the animal kingdom of anything you guys know how much it is mm-hmm. i mean yeah but so i mean we should do you want us to say <laughs> it's like i feel like i'm cheating you can say it it's greater than one million mm-hmm. and in comparison we have a hundred thousand per square inch they have yes, over a million this is yeah per square inch it's bonkerballs they have that because they don't have the blubber essentially. So they have really, basically what it is, is really, really thick under fur that keeps them warm and basically traps all these little air bubbles that with the body heat can remove the air because water never actually contacts the skin because otherwise they right. freeze. So they have mm-hmm. all this dense undercoat with the guard hairs above it. And the guard hairs are what keep help repel water as well. Gotcha. Which makes sense. So they're, they're really in trouble then if they do get wet to the skin, that would not be. Yeah. They they basically, I don't think they can, if they get wet, like, I think that's the problem with oil is that it Mm -hmm. cuts that out and then they get wet and then they, that's it. Right. Right. Which I'll talk about a little bit. You know, California sounds warm, but the water's not. (laughs) No. Alaska. Well, up here it's 50 degrees basically year round. So. Right. It's cold. But Mm -hmm. basically if you see them like always rubbing themselves, constantly cleaning to keep that guard hair dry yeah. and clean and ready so they don't get wet i'll talk about that yeah for sure yeah sorry <laughs> mm-hmm. but yep found along crazy on the coast not really anything deeper than 75 feet on average for where they live because they don't dive i you'll talk about that for foraging mm-hmm. but not very deep waters right and yes they're found in washington off the coast and there's only been a few sightings in like the San Juans and the Salish Sea. Which has been so exciting. I saw mm-hmm. one at, it's called Cattle Pass between Lopez and San Juan Island. And I guess there were two there for a month or so. Okay. Interesting. And then I saw one, which was odd, at a place called Hind Bank in the more open water. Mm, that's and, where we see a lot of the minkies, right? Yeah, there tend to be minkies there, but he was, mm-hmm. we were just driving to some other animals like uh, it's a sea otter just floating in the... <laughs> Random? 200 feet of water by itself okay by itself. what wow. are you doing dude hey and then somebody saw one at port townsend a couple weeks ago so oh port townsend how interesting hmm. but of course there's always the famous ollie the sea otter yes victoria bc which you guys can ask me about later if you want uh yeah why don't we circle will, back to that we'll, yeah. uh, we'll talk about him i'm going to talk about him in the diet for a little bit and then we can yeah. maybe okay, we'll discuss him too <laughs> I I actually I wasn't going to I was going to circle back and then have you talk about it Trevor because I know that you're a little bit more up on the deets okay well I'll I'll bring it up in the diet so Trevor will get to to chime in then yeah okay I can talk about that but yeah they're not really found any anywhere beyond like two-thirds of a mile from shore so seeing that otter at Hind Bank which was like 10 miles from shore was really really weird he didn't seem concerned too he was diving down (laughs) it's like I found some food here I'm fine yeah I had an urchin so he was doing something Mm-hmm. um but yeah the population wise i'll finish off with that it was pretty high but now i think the last estimate was just over a hundred thousand spread off along the coast right mm-hmm. so, and i mean cat will talk about wh- why but i mean you know yeah there's, there's obvious reasons why they aren't doing as well but 
yeah they need help we'll get they're there in, they're endangered right yeah we'll get there too <laughs> okay. yeah i'm just making just measures like put off the doubt yeah. they're endangered and then we're gonna find out why later uh but yeah and then they like you said we don't have many in the salish sea here um but they were they did try to reintroduce them here and they just didn't take for whatever okay. reason not sure why they did take on the coast, but not in here. The coast, yeah, but not in the Salish Sea. That's why we're very excited when we're like, oh my God, we saw the sea otter in the Salish Sea. Because people are like, I oh, I saw an otter. Oh. Yeah. Hmm? And I got a picture of it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was did. so cute, too. He was like, Arr. doing the, the typical sea otter cuteness with his, you know, paws in its face. And like, Arr. Well, yeah, maybe they're not so cute after the end of this, but. Well, yeah. <laughs> mm, they are a bit predatory, for sure. But anyway, that's what I got. All right, cool. Well, we'll move into um, the diet and behavior. And um, so they eat a lot of stuff. Uh, They're a pretty wide ranging predator, um, mainly invertebrates. So those things that do not have backbones um, and they have a ranging, depending on the source that you look at, have somewhere between 33 and 50 different prey items that include wow. crabs, snails, urchins, uh, clams, abalone, mussels. And what's interesting is the Northern guys, the guys that are around us um, also eat fish, but the Southern guys don't. Hmm. Not sure why, but they, they just don't. Um, Question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it what kind of fish? I don't know. I it think I know. Fish. Oh, what fish? Sluggish fish. Slug- like is fish, that, fish is that, that can, is, like a salmon, they probably can't get to salmon. Oh, okay. Oh, like I was like, is that a particular, is that, is there a specific fish that's called the sluggish fish? Or are you just talking about sluggish? <laughs> I think what I saw, it was like bottom dwelling, like slow moving fish, kind of like a flounder or a sole or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like so that, that makes total sense because they're really slow swimmers. They can only swim like three to five miles an hour. So they're not going to, ca- yeah, they're not going to go catch a salmon unless the salmon's like, arr, arr, arr. <laughs> on death's door. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so that that makes total sense. So I would I would agree with that based on their swimming capabilities. Apparently they that. can they yeah. can like swim on the back and undulate their bodies to get a little bit quicker when they want to have some sprints, but generally swimming they're not not so good at. Hmm. Interesting. So, but what's also interesting is that so they have that many that many different different prey items, but an individual has um, like two to three favorites and that's pretty much what they eat for their entire life. So like they have this big smorgasbord, but they're like I'm really picky and I want that, that, and that, and that's it. Which I thought was interesting. Huh. Yeah. And so that's like, is there, I, I don't know if there's an answer to this, but is that something that goes within families? <gasps> yes. Where, like, I was <gasps> just about ooh, to say that. Yes. Cool. So it passes on to the baby. Nice. So the kid learns because the kid stays with the mom for like three to six months and eats, eats what they eat. So culture. Yeah. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? I was like, what? <laughs> so very cool. But though, I wonder if that actually can go against them though, because if they have that many different prey species, again, we talk about picky eaters having issues. So if you only eat a few things and they happen to not be doing well during a certain time, you're going to have problems. So I wonder if they're two to three that they only eat, if that really stays, even if the prey is down or if they will branch out, if if the prey isn't there. I'm not oh, sure. Resident mm-hmm. versus bigs killer whale is a classic example. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So not that they're picky, but they, you know, one prey item versus many options. And many options right. are doing well. Right. <laughs> and the one that eats only one thing, not so good. So it could uh, uh, 
could go against them. But it's very interesting that they have kind of a cultural thing where that it follows in from the mother at least, not the dad because yeah. whatever you know, dad's like woo woo, bye, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in there. Um, so when they um, uh, they basically they spend all their time in the water. This is one of the only otter species that is completely aquatic. They will occasionally come out on land, but they're really awkward and they can't walk very well. <laughs> and they're really heavy. So yeah, they're used to being in the water. Um, so they will spend, they will eat, um, mate, sleep and give birth all in the water. Um, when they go down for food, they will dive. And as, as Trevor was saying, they're in more shallow water. They can dive up to 250 feet, but most likely it's going to be more shallow than that. Um, again, a lot of times we talk about this, we're, we're saying the extreme or the maximum that they found, but most of the time it's less. Um, they can uh, hold their breath for about four to five minutes. Um, and what they do, so they dive down, basically they use their whiskers to help locate their prey. They're very sensitive. So especially in murky water, they can um, be able to find uh, their prey items. Uh, and then they have very strong forepaws that allow them to dig for clams and things like that. Um, and so what they'll do is they'll dive and then they come back up and they will go on their belly. And this is what probably many people have seen. They will use a rock, um, like put, put the clam or the oysters, whatever it is, um, on their belly of the crab, and then use a rock to crash it, crush it open to be able to get to these stuff on the inside. Um, for urchins, they'll actually break off the spines with their teeth um, and then eat and suck out the stuff in the center. Um, so what is uh, cool about that is that they're one of the few animals that we all agree <laughs> use tools. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is an obvious tool use. Um, I think we mentioned that in the tool mm -hmm. episode too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, check out our previous podcast on marine mammals that use tools. <laughs> exactly. Um, and what's cool is about, and we talked a little bit about that on that podcast, I think, um, but the the idea of also taking taking it for future use. So you're not just like, oh, using the thing that's right here, right at that time. Um, it, it, there's another level of intelligence in that they like will hide it in their little pocket because they have pockets because they're <laughs> awesome. Because it's so, the best kind of coat ever. <laughs> right. You know, and I, I immediately think of like girls with dresses and then the fact when a dress has pockets, it's like the most amazing thing ever because mm -hmm. pockets are awesome. Um, so they actually have like little folds of skin under their um, kind of their armpit or arm area under their forearm. Um, and they can stash prey there. They can also will stash like a rock and then pull out the rock and use it. Cause you know, if you're floating around, there's not rocks right there. So you save it for <laughs> the time that you need it when you're eating. Um, so it, it allows them to actually get more things when they dive too. So they can dive down, grab, an, grab a clam, stuff it in his pocket, <laughs> go out and grab another one. And then you can come up to the surface and have more to eat, which I thought mm. is awesome. Always need to stash food for later. It's an important thing. And the mm -hmm. reason why they need to do that is because they have a super high metabolism. And we talked about this with our Harbor Porpoise podcast. You know, you need to eat if you have that high metabolism. Um, and they keep their temperature at about 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So, oh, wow. yeah. So they need that again. That's how uh, other also why they stay warm. Um, so they will eat up to a quarter of their body weight a day. So if you have a hundred pound animal, that's like 25 pounds of food. So a 150 pound person would have to eat 35 to 40 pounds of food a day to keep up that. Up. Wow. That's a lot of food. That's a, that's a huge amount of food. <laughs> 
I mean, you think like even like a, a, a pound of steak, if, if you're, that's kind of a big steak and most people wouldn't maybe be able to eat it at least, and it's certainly not 35 times in the day <laughs> to add up to that. So um, I thought that was, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, so the, I think that's, I think that's what I have about, um, about diet. And you hopefully don't hear my daughter crying in the background. I'm not sure why she's <laughs> at the door. She's not supposed to be there. Um, so uh, with their behavior, um, they, as, as Trevor mentioned, have to spend a lot of time grooming. They can spend up to eight hours grooming their, their fur. Um, and wow. this is because that's how they stay warm, right? They don't have the blubber. So what you get is they, they get the skins, the natural oils that um, come out uh, from the skin when they're doing that grooming. And those natural oils help to uh, keep the water out. It also fluffs up um, and they fluff it up and that gets the air bubbles that are trapped um, that insulates mm -hmm. them. And so the oils and the air bubbles, if those are gone, they basically have no, no way to stay warm and they'll freeze to death. Um, so I thought this was I, interesting because I, I thought about the fact that a lot of people don't wash their hair every day and it's actually better if you don't wash your hair every day or even take showers every day to some degree because those natural oils in your skin help with a lot of different things. Oh yeah, um, good point. Yeah, so uh, we just like to be super clean, which is good, but maybe not so good all the time. Um, but have you ever noticed when, they, when they're at the surface and they do these somersaults and they're like diving, zipping around and do, 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 do like that? Yeah. Um, that's to help distribute the air bubbles. Mm. What, really? Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, so it helps to move the air bubbles around so it's like equally distributed apparently. So it's not just, yeah. they're not doing that just for fun. It's like, <laughs> as a purpose. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Um, so they will also use their environment to um, help them. So they'll use kelp. Sometimes if they, maybe they ran out of pockets to put their food. Um, they'll use kelp. They'll wrap the ke wrap kelp uh, it around kelp so the food doesn't float away. Float away while it's eating the other thing that it has. They'll also use kelp to anchor themselves when they sleep or rest, so they don't just drift away out into nowhere. Um, they'll also do that with. Uh, they'll also um, raft together, um, so they will you know safety in numbers kind of thing. But they'll use that with. Like, they'll wrap themselves in, in kelp and they'll just all hang out up to a thousand individuals. Wow, can you imagine seeing that on a kelp bed? That would be yeah. the coolest thing ever. Like, so cool. And that's what you, I think you would see down in California. Um, mm -hmm. That's pretty common down there. Cindy, how yeah. do they not float away from each other? They hold hands. Yeah. <laughs> I, fun, funny story. I have, a, I have a card that my boyfriend's mom gave us that's two sea otters and they're holding hands. Oh, and it's and it's on my fridge because I'm like oh this is the coolest thing ever because they are I don't, I'm sure you guys have all seen pictures on the internet of sea otters holding hands and just mm -hmm. looking absolutely adorable but they actually do that adorable for good reason so they all stay together so uh, I wanted to I forgot to mention we we're going to briefly talk about in a diet about our 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 local celebrity named Ollie he's Ollie the otter and he lives up you said he's in Victoria he's at Race Rocks he's which rocks. is a famous uh, basically area pitipeds and just all marine mammals essentially that in the Salish Sea that's just west of Victoria like 10 miles. Okay so this is Ollie up there and he's become locally famous because he doesn't just kill the invertebrates and fish that our animals up here eat. He's also there's pictures of him with uh, river otters. 
<laughs> and it's crazy because the river otters are big and he ollie's big he's he looks very large yeah he's a northern sea otter so there's yeah so he's probably on the top yeah. end. he's on the top end of that like 100 pound <laughs> right size but that's uh he's an interesting oddity because he's not supposed to they're not supposed to kill other mammals really it's you know fish and invertebrates so why he does this and you know and how often we say he said what like once a week he's almost doing that in the peak i know in the summer there was like another kill another kill another kill it's like what yeah. at least once a week it's probably more like once every two or three weeks at this point right but don't know what he yeah. does you know he doesn't eat the otter but yeah he kills him yeah he kills him. and then I, I think one of my friends was saying that he they he'll wrap him in kelp so that he doesn't float away and then come back to him and and you know yeah, hang with him for a little while so it's that's it's a little odd so <laughs> there's always exceptions to rules and always the exception to the sea otter rule <laughs> that we have here in the Salish sea yeah yikes so it, it's it, it's an interesting thing that we want to look into too and and understand you know wh why and is this an isolated thing or is it just that we're not seeing it with other animals like we're just happen to see it with ollie because he's right here or whatever he's famous yeah and he's right mm -hmm. yeah so everybody knows him um so and could it spread right we talked about culture so i mean he's a male i'm assuming right, right? Yeah. um so that's not going to necessarily transfer to offspring but who knows yeah, <laughs> you never know yeah i mean if this is like some kind of like hey this is a really great thing to do or you're like you're just weird and we don't know why you do this okay river otters just stay away from ollie <laughs> <laughs> um so moving on to more uh books over the females because they're nicer <laughs> um uh the females will give birth at about two to five years of age um and what's really cool is that um they can pop year round which i didn't realize mm -hmm. they don't have a, a a peak period generally except for the ones in alaska they're usually in the spring it's probably just because it's really cold there <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, just temperature makes a difference up there. Yeah. Um, so um, what's cool is that the, the pup's fur is so dense that they can't dive until mm. they get adult fur, which is really handy because if you are a female, obviously you need to dive. And especially, I can't imagine, I didn't even look at this. If this 25% per, you know, a day for regular otters, what is it for lactating and pregnant otters? Right. Like they yeah. just have to be eating more. So, and they're, they don't, they can't just like leave their pup, like, you know, seals do on the beach and then go out and forage and come back. So they have to leave them at the surface of the water. So it's really handy that they can't dive and they just float like little fur balls. And so do they, do they leave them in kelp so they don't drift away? You know what? I don't know. They just said that they float, but I wouldn't be surprised that they would, if they had somewhere that would keep, you know, from drifting away. Right, like maybe a little nursery spot or something yeah. where they put the little babies on some kelp beds so they don't they don't float like, away. Just float away. Bye bye. Oh. Um, yeah. So they, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, they uh, they're they live for fifteen to twenty years and their gestation was it's really variable. I saw one that said six months, another that said nine to ten months, but they do have delayed implantation like seals and sea lions do. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's why it can be variable as well. Mm -hmm exactly how long and so for those of you who don't know delayed implantation is basically the female can withhold the sperm from implanting in the egg or the egg from implanting into the lining i think um, it fertilizes and then it just it just waits it just it just it sits implants. there right so it doesn't yeah. implant in the lining of the womb to actually then start growing the baby um, or something until, like 
one to two months or more, depending on. The yeah. Season. And I think for some, it, it, they can, it can be variable depending on their nutritional state mm-hmm. or, um, you know, temperature will, will vary it. So they, they have that instinctual ability in their body to wait until the optimal time to actually become pregnant, which is incredible. Yeah. It's pretty one of the most amazing things I think in, in, in mammals, the, in the mammal in world. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Um, yeah, so they, uh, raft together. We already talked about the rafting, but, um, when they raft, it's similar to seals and sea lions that also raft together and will kind of, you know, be very close together for thermal regulation. So for retain, um, conserving heat. So it's weird is that they'll actually put their front forepaws and hind, hind flip kind of flippers out of the water in order to conserve heat, which it seems backwards to me, but it makes sense because the water's so cold and the right. mm-hmm. it's a little bit warmer. So they'll, um, they'll do that. Um, they have retractable claws, which is cool, like cats. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't know that either. Um, and they can close their nostrils and their ears when they dive. Which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, their hind feet are kind of web and webbed, so they're kind of flipper-like to help them swim in the water. Um, they, the one difference between um, a big difference between river otters and sea otters is their tail. So a river otter has a cylindrical, like kind of like a, a dog tail. Um, and then a, a sea otter actually has a flat, um, a long, a long flat tail that can act as, as a rudder to kind of. This is what around. bugs me when people say, I saw, I saw like eight sea otters the other day. Like, no, you did not. They have a tail. Yeah. They had like long tails. Like then you saw river otters. Mm-hmm. They can be in the, they can be in salt water. Imagine that. Exactly. And is it swimming on its, on it with its back up? It's a river otter. If it's swimming on its belly up, then it's a sea otter. Right. So, um, oh, and then they, you know, most mammals have sharper teeth, um, generally for what they eat. Um, especially for, you know, hunters and predators like that. So it's interesting that these guys actually have um, blunt teeth for crushing, which makes sense, but Mm -hmm. it's an odd thing for a mammal in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see, do I have anything else? Um, Oh, just in general, their their routine for the day is to kind of wake up, um, they go down and forage, and then they come up and they eat, and then they'll groom and rest, and then they repeat that process throughout the day. (laughs) What a life. And again, grooming can take up to eight hours. So they, they, you know, they eat, then they rest, and they groom, eat, rest, groom, kind of a thing. Um, And they're pretty vocal. Um, They have a lot of different vocalizations that they'll use, and pups will actually be very vocal when they're calling for mom to come back or whatever, but um, they are a pretty vocal, vocal group as well. Um, so I think that's, that's what I have for basics behavior and diet. Cool. Um, well, so why we don't we take, take a, a quick break? A quick, ah. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back for the threats and, um, and fun facts. We always like to end on the fun facts, which are more happy than the threats. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, okay, be right we'll be back. right back. Okay, and we're back and now it's Kat's turn. All right. So yeah, so let's talk about status first of all. So we already mentioned that they are listed as an endangered species um, by the IUCN. So they are part of the IUCN red list. Um, which is a list of all endangered species um, that we know of in the world. 
Um, they are also listed as threatened under the Endangered Species Act and depleted under the Marine Mammal Protection Act. So basically these guys are struggling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, thankfully they're, they're struggling. Well, good question. So historically, numbers of sea otters around the Pacific Rim were between 150,000 to 300,000 animals is the estimated historical population around this area. Huh. So what happened? Kind of lower than I thought, though. I mean, that's, that's conservative. But, that's based right. on um, catch records, basically, okay. um, from what I could figure out. Right. Um, but basically, these guys were hunted for their fur. So as many of you probably know, sea otters were um, basically the, the sole quarry of the fur traders for mm -hmm. quite a long time. Um, which makes total sense now that we've talked about the density of their fur and the quality of their fur. And, you know, if you're someone who's just, you know, arrived on the West Coast back in the, you know, like 1800s, early 1900s, and there's an abundance of sea otters there, it's a pretty good idea to skin those guys and use their pelts to keep you warm during the cold winters. Mm -hmm. However, they discovered that you could also sell these furs for pretty decent money back in the day. Um, oh, yeah. so all of a sudden there, there basically was a booming trade in, uh, sea otter furs. Um, it, it, so it they became were, like the, the main thing, like everybody just wanted that. I mean, there's lots of other yeah. fur trade, but that was like the pen, you know, the pinnacle. Like, no, that was the premium. Yeah. That it's was like the, the marine so gold get, rush. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a great analogy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these guys were hunted nearly to extinction between uh, 19, uh, sorry, 1741 and 1911. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, also a pretty, that was a longer time frame than I had realized also. Like this is over an extended period of time that their populations were being further and further depleted. This wasn't just like, oh, a mad rush for 50 years. Like right. this went on for a really long time. Um, and it wasn't until basically some of these protection acts came into being that they had any sort of you know, recourse for, for people who are killing sea otters for their fur. Um, and of course, just because something gets instated doesn't mean people actually follow it. So of course, when these rules come into being, it takes several years, if not longer, for people to actually start listening to those rules. It's like fishing yeah. laws. Exactly. Yeah. Days, yeah. You know, you catch a fish that's valuable. I'm going to keep the fish. You know? well, right. I mean, and enforcement. How do you enforce it? Mm -hmm. That's the biggest problem, especially you when we're talking about the marine person. environment. Yep. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's why the vaquita is going to go extinct, most likely. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. It's because they fish for the Toyotaba, it's worth too much money. Right. It's yeah. Unfortunately, the, the risks of infringing on law are not worth the risk to your financial and family well-being. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult. So again, um, at this point, certain populations, as Trevor mentioned, certain populations are starting to rebound. Um, and as Cindy said earlier, they did try several reintroductions along the West Coast here. Um, unfortunately, very few of them actually worked. Um, and like, like you said, we don't really know why. Um, you know, we basically were, people were trying to reintroduce them to their historical habitat and areas that on the surface of it from our, you know, from what we could tell, looked like it should be perfect sea otter habitat. Um, and yet quite a few of them didn't make it. So unfortunately, you know, we did lose quite a few animals through that process, even though we're trying to help them. It, it, there was quite a few animals lost and in that procedure. I think they did it a couple times and then we're finally like, okay, it's not working. Cause now you're taking them from the other healthier population like up in Alaska. 
and you know, taking those yeah. animals away. Like you, you just, okay, it's not working. So just stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. You can't just, it's not like fish that you can just keep going back to the pet store and buy more fish when right. your fish die. Like, <laughs> your goldfish um, never died. right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that, like I said, there are, you know, hopefully they will continue to repopulate areas where they can, um, obviously certain populations are doing quite well now, you know, down in California being a good example. Um, so that's the biggest threat really historically, um, was the fur trade. Obviously that had a huge impact on their trajectory going forward. Um, unfortunately, there are still direct conflicts between humans and sea otters. So um, occasionally shootings occur, which mm. I think, I mean, I, I, shooting any marine mammal is abhorrent to me, but it just, it's fascinating to me that people would want to shoot sea otters. Um, so that happens occasionally. Um, pollution obviously is a big one because these guys are spending their entire lives in the ocean and of course, very, very near the coastline. So they are more susceptible to a lot of the pollution runoff. Um, and oil spills but, are a big one, like Cindy said, with just getting, you know, compromising their fur. Yeah, well, I, what's interesting too, I was just thinking since they don't have blubber, like how the differences between how the, the chemical pollution affects them versus say other cetaceans or, or pinnipeds mm -hmm. that have blubber stores because they get stored in blubber and then it can go later, you know, so is it a more direct? I think it's a more immediate. Or, yeah. Yeah. So again, I think it's more to do with like localized pollution. So it's not necessarily, mm -hmm. as you said, it's not necessarily like the built up over time metabolizing it from fat stores, but it's, they're going to be exposed to those pollutants probably more directly because right. they are likely to come in contact with where the pollutants are entering the water system. Right. Um, on that similar note, biotoxins that are produced during algal blooms um, mm. can be can be a problem for these guys, um, as can you know various pathogens. So again, as we talked about in a previous podcast about the monk seals, I believe toxoplasmosis mm -hmm. um, is is something that really can impact these guys very negatively. Oh, it's an issue for them too. Huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and so I probably going to butcher this name, but Sarcocystis neurona is another mm. pathogen. I think that's right. Um, if you got that. And I think that leads to like, they, they start behaving very strangely with that mm -hmm. one. If they get infected with that, that leads to very odd behavioral changes that can be quite negative to their survival. And um, just for, for the audience's note, the toxoplasmosis, um, if you don't remember, it comes from cat poop. That's mm -hmm. one of the major influences of where, where it comes from um, getting into the water. So yeah, properly dispose of cat poop, please. Yes, it's very important. Mm -hmm. um, Predation from killer whales is another thing um, that can be a threat to these guys. Um, probably, probably a fluffy little morsel, so I'm not sure how frequently they're consuming sea otters, but it has been documented, I believe. Yes, yeah. Trevor. There is a decline in the population mm -hmm. in Alaska, and the current theory is killer whale predation. I was and just going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's debated. Well, that was, yeah, because <laughs> that's the thing. Like people, are like they do it, and then people are like, I don't think they do that because it it's there's not much to eat i mean it's all lower yeah and it, didn't they say that it was just a certain individuals that were doing it uh, i don't know but cat might yeah i i've heard a couple different theories i actually i'm not sure if they've determined i know that was a theory for a while but i'm not sure no. that that's been confirmed yeah Urban, yeah. yeah yeah um so I, one I to keep an eye on it's kind of yeah. interesting i think they yeah they've documented that they have eaten them but if that's the reason why those certain animals are are going down is enough is is debated. 
the Correct. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't, it's not really a smart morsel to eat before a killer whale, but I guess if you either have nothing else to eat or if you have so much to eat, you're just like, let me try this other thing. Well, we watched one swallow a bird the other day, so who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, yeah. you never know. You never say never with marine mammals. Yeah, sometimes they do odd things. Me too. <laughs> um, so another one, jumping back to uh, the interactions with humans, I forgot to mention that these guys are also susceptible to entrapment or entanglement in fishing gear, which again mm-hmm. makes sense with those coastal fisheries mm-hmm. or the urchin fisheries um, as well, because they are in direct competition with the urchin fishermen, um, which there is an urchin fishery industry. Right. Um, uh, yeah, and that, that was, yeah, there's a, one up in Alaska too. So there's the, that interaction is very interesting. Um, And then the last one that I'll talk about in terms of the threats is, again, going back to the fact that these guys are not always cute and cuddly. So the females specifically, um, they are quite susceptible, especially right after giving birth, um, to potential infection, like any female mammal giving birth Mm -hmm. to a live young in the the wild environment, you know, infection does happen. Um, but also male aggression. So males can be very aggressive towards females, especially when they've just given birth and are weaker. Um, Mm -hmm. And they have been documented to kill or maim females, Um, which is, again, it's interesting. It makes me think of uh, the gray seals, which are also kind of odd and can be quite aggressive to other seals at times. Well, and then Um, that's how they, that's how they will actually do a photo ID of them is the scars on their noses. mm -hmm. Mm. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, so that leads nicely into fun facts because that was one of my fun facts. So let's get into the fun facts. <laughs> I don't have many left. Okay, um, so the name, let's do the name first. So the okay. Latin name for the sea otter is Anhydra lutris. Anhydra means in water. Okay, I was like, Hydra and lutris, <laughs> right? And lutris is literally the Latin word for otter. Oh, so in water, otter. Ooh, that yep. right. in water otter. Also, Which, I just thought it was very cool that in Latin they had a word specifically for otter. otter. Like that's yeah. super cool. <laughs> but and that this one is it's the only fully aquatic otter. Every other otter is on land to some degree. And these ones Correct. are basically so that makes sense. In water otter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the name. Uh, they are the largest member of the weasel family, which you can kind of tell by looking at them. They do look quite similarly. It's easier to see the resemblance in river otters because yeah. river otters move very similarly to weasels. Um, but they, the so they're the largest member, like most, oh, most, most, mustelidae. Yeah. Mustelidae, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So they're the largest member of the weasel family, but they're the smallest marine mammal in North America. Mm. So there you go. Yes. And small by di- still being a hundred pound animal. <laughs> right. Well, and honestly, like they're not really, they're almost the same size as a harbor seal or a harbor porpoise. So it's yeah. not even by that much that they're the smallest, but yeah. there you go. What is the smallest? They are. They are. They're the smallest mammal. In the world? No, in, the, in North America. They're the smallest marine mammal in North America. Yeah. I'm curious what in the world is. Oh. Is that the Vakita? No. That's a small cetacean. Yeah. Uh, I don't I'm know. I'd sure. have to look that up. Yeah, I don't know, actually. Is it the question? If you know, know, let us know in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's so many questions that I don't know. Yeah. Huh. We'll have to think about that. Yeah. Anyway. I feel like we should look it up. Um, so they, going back to their swimming capabilities, 
facilities here as well. Um, they do have webbed feet, so that does help them swim. Again, they're, they're not necessarily super fast swimmers, but they are very good swimmers. Um, and that definitely does help, especially when they're diving down to get urchins or crustaceans. Right. Um, and then speaking of that, as Cindy mentioned, they can, they can hold their breath for you know up to about five minutes, but their lung capacity, which I thought was yeah. really cool, their lung capacity is two and a half times greater than a similarly sized land mammal. I have that and I'm so glad I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah, I know I was like going through and I was like, oh, we didn't, also we didn't have prepare that. our fun facts on this episode. <laughs> so a lot of my fun facts were like, okay, cool. We already talked about that. Right. Um, and then the last thing I was just going to mention, um, which ties back into the dietary stuff, but a lot of you might know or be familiar with sea otters from your high school biology mm -hmm. class. I was going to um, say, if nobody mentioned this, I didn't I go know. to 16 years and of school and for every biology class to talk about this and not mention it in the podcast. And I was like, oh, we didn't do that. We should end on that. So my gosh, we're just I talked right about this bar. in Australia too. I thought I escaped it and I talked about it in Australia biology. <laughs> Go ahead. So in case it's like, okay, so clearly this is, this is memorable guys. Um, so they are what is known as a keystone species. So if you did not take high school biology, if you have no idea what we're talking about, keystone species are basically ones that are a foundational um, component of the ecosystem and changes in sea otter numbers impact directly impact the rest of their ecosystem. So for these guys, they directly impact the urchin numbers because they eat urchins. Sea urchins eat kelp. So in an area where there's lots of sea urchins and fewer otters, there's usually less kelp because the urchins eat it all. Right, and they have urchin more, Right, exactly. So that's what they actually have like a specific name for that. Um, in areas where there are plentiful sea otters or even just a few sea otters and they can keep the urchin levels down, there tends to be more kelp available because it doesn't all get eaten by the urchins. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously the kelp is, you know, photosynthesizing, it's producing a lot of really important nutrients and, and fixing a lot of carbon as well. Um, so they, they kind of create this cyclical um, feedback loop within the ecosystem. And so this is a classic example and actually killer whales have now been added into that cycle um, as a potential you know, source of removing the sea otters, like what would remove the sea otters from that cycle while potentially predation from killer whales. Um, but this is, uh, like I said, it's something that's very commonly referenced in biology classes because it is such a really clean and clear example of if you remove one species, all the other species that are, interact with that are directly impacted. And it's that skip, right? So you're like, I remove sea otters, but you wouldn't think about it affecting kelp because they don't eat kelp, right? It's not direct. Right direct linkage. So it's thinking about that, what they, what, you know, they, they affect more than just the one thing that they eat or the many things mm -hmm. that they eat. And mm -hmm. I, I was just actually, um, uh, was looking up stuff and, and, and decided not to go into it, but this will be a perfect segue for it is that they are also linking them to uh, helping with climate change mm. because they, you just said they, they could be a carbon sink, you know, they're, they're creating these carbon sinks where the, the plants can pull the carbon. Um, and especially right. kelp, because kelp can grow a foot in one day. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really uh, a lot. Um, so, oh, actually, I had, this one says kelp can grow up to two feet a day. That's insane. In the right conditions, yeah. 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 Um, so they can, they're transforming these ecosystems that allow for, um, to help with climate change and be able to pull that carbon out and uh, having plants that are photosynthetic. 
uh, like pull that carbon dioxide out and, of the air and everything like that. So they can be climate change warriors as well. I was going to say, I feel like that's a really nice way to end. And hey, look at that. Sea otters could save the world. Right. There so you go, if, guys. Um, uh, we were just ta talking about, uh, during the break, uh, about a really good book that I, I uh, just recently read or uh, in the last year or two. Um, it's called Return of the Sea Otter, the story of the animal that evaded extinction on the Pacific coast. And this is by Todd McLeish. And uh, one of our colleagues is actually mentioned in the book up in Alaska, uh, Mark Weber, who's Ooh. done work up there. Um, and actually he talks to, to him quite a bit in the book. Um, so that is a really great book. It's a really good read. Like he does an excellent job of telling the story in, in a story <laughs> way uh, with interviews and things like that. Um, but it, it explains a lot of, and goes into more detail into you know, the hunting and how the, the reintroductions and things like that, that we didn't really get into on the podcast. Um, so it's a great book if you want to learn more about um, the history of these guys and what happened to them um, and how they're doing now. And he actually goes into talking about the um, the Alaska population that's going down and the, the debate about whether it's killer whales that are, are the reason and that kind of stuff. So nice. all of those things that we teased you about, if you want to learn more, that is a great book to go check out. And we'll put those in the um, the show notes. I'll put a link to the, to the book. Yeah. But I think that's it for this week. Yes. Yes. So, uh, sea otters are cute and cuddly and could help us save the world. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. <laughs> They're awesome. Um, so be sure to keep an eye out, um, for the next time we do a meme memo highlight for Instagram and Facebook. Um, that'll be in two podcasts, right? So the next podcast, we will um, likely be doing another review, but I think a journal review, but um, we will be getting into some interviews as we get those lined up for the fall yeah. while we're sitting inside in the rain and the pouring and the wind. You know, oh, we love rain. it. Rain and wind. <laughs> so, all right, well, that's it for us. And um, make sure, oh, you check out our, our website. We do have a um, a gift store. So if you want to support us and have some cute things, please go, go check that out uh, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and keep, keep up to date with what we're doing. And we yeah. will see you next time. Bye. Bye. All right. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. To learn more about the species we discuss, check out our blog. Head to our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M.org, to check it out. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.